The ideas, procedures, and suggestions contained within this podcast are not intended as a substitute for consulting with a medical professional. All matters regarding your health and fitness require medical consultation and supervision. Welcome to the Warrior Wellness Podcast, a podcast for military members, veterans, and first responders focusing on fitness, health, nutrition, and biohacking. Our mission with this podcast is to introduce America's heroes to lifestyle habits and hacks that will help them live healthier, happier lives, and in turn, be fit enough to continue their support of their communities and country. Well, thank you, John, for being on the Warrior Wellness Podcast. And um, I actually downloaded your book um, about a week ago, and I'm in, I think I'm on chapter three now, and it's definitely, it's very good. I, I can't wait to, to read, you know, continue reading. Um, so John's book is called Get the Turp Up Here, War as, an, uh, War as an Interpreter to the U.S. Forces in Afghanistan. And I'm so excited to talk to you because I think, so... I am of a woman of a certain age. 9-11 happened. I was in the military. So I was actually in the emergency operations center in uh, the state of Florida when this happened, standing there with my two very good friends, who were special forces guys, who ended up getting deployed to Afghanistan a couple of times later on. So um, it was definitely, and I still, I get chills just like, just now I got chills. It was definitely a day that you cannot forget. Nowadays, there's <laughs> so many young people who don't even remember that day. And, um, you know, the war on terror went on for so long. I think we, it's important for us to keep revisiting this because there are certain lessons that learned that, that we need to keep up in the first and foremost in our mind. And I can't wait to talk to you about some of those lessons. So thank you so much for being on this podcast. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me. It's such a, such a great, honor, great honor to be here with you. Well, and first of all, thank you so much, you know, from, from the bottom of my heart for your service to the U.S. forces. And, you know, I'm sure you also supported other foreign services. But um, I think, you know, the interpreters are definitely the unsung heroes of the war on terror. You guys don't get enough credit and there are so many things that could not have happened without your assistance. So first of all, just thank you, you know, for, for serving, you know, not only, you know, us, but also against terror as, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but first, you know, you were born and raised in Afghanistan, correct? Yes, that is correct. Uh, okay. I was born and raised uh, in Afghanistan under the Taliban regime. Uh, as I mentioned, September 11, when it happened, the, the, the horrific attack. Uh, I was a very, I was a very, I was a very young kid. Yeah, yeah. So I was born and raised in eastern Afghanistan uh, in a very small uh, village uh, deep in the Hindukash Mountains uh, under the Taliban border regime. So can you describe to us what, what it was like to kind of, you know, I mean, those of us, like, we can't even imagine, you know, living under that kind of, of oppression, you know, because we take our freedoms for granted here in the U.S., unfortunately. Um, you know, can you kind of describe what, what it was like growing up um, under the Taliban regime? Uh Growing and living under the Taliban regime, uh, overall, it was a pretty uh, hectic, it was a pretty traumatic and, 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 and a brutalizing journey uh, for me and for my 
family and for the rest of the, uh, the citizens in the country. Uh, uh, it was a daily struggle for all of us. Uh, uh, for me, uh, growing up under the Taliban regime and uh, it was pretty dangerous, it was pretty hectic, it was pretty traumatizing watching my parents, watching my father uh, going to prison uh, at least once or twice a week for no reason. Uh, it, the journey was uh, full of fear and intimidation. Uh, you know, the public uh, torturing, public executions uh, uh, were uh, daily practices. Uh, and that was pretty uh, scary and that was uh, pretty traumatic uh, for all of us. Uh, we struggle with everything under the Taliban regime. Um, as a young kid growing up uh, uh, deep in a small village uh, in the Hindukash Mountains, was pretty uh, isolated from the rest of the world. And uh, solely in Afghanistan, it was a tiny village and it was pretty isolated. We weren't able to visit other places around. We couldn't afford. Uh, we struggled with everything. Uh, we struggled with food. Uh, if, we had, if we had food for breakfast, we don't have food for lunch. If we had it for lunch, we don't have it for dinner. So that was our daily life under the Taliban regime. Uh, uh, we were isolated. Uh, women were shrunk and girls and women were shrunk to four walls in the houses. They weren't allowed to go outside without uh, guardians. They weren't allowed to go to school. Uh, mm. For us, that's what we wanted to go to school. And that's what my parents believed in education and my parents want us to go to school, but school was way too far away to walk miles and miles. And the school was not um, uh, something, it wasn't a building that, you know, you can go to. Uh, it was an open area. Uh, the hub, uh, the collapsed building was like, the building was pretty much demolished. And, uh, you know, there was not a lot of teachers where we could, you know, learn about things. Uh, so, Growing up under the Taliban regime and then going to school back and forth between Madrasa religious school, uh, it was a struggle. Uh, so it was uh, overall, it was uh, full of fear. Uh, it was uh, full of intimidation uh, and it was pretty um, traumatic. Yeah, oh gosh, I mean, yeah, horrible. And, and none of us could even even imagine, you know, what, what your daily life was um, growing up. So, Fast forward, what, how the heck did you become an interpreter? What inspired you to do that? That's just a, a very different, you know, choice of, of careers. So everything uh, started after 9-11, after 2001. Um, uh, like I mentioned before, our village was a very uh, tiny village deep in the Hindukash mountain. It was pretty isolated from the rest of the world. And it was mostly dominated by uh, uh, religious extremists, uh, where we weren't allowed to talk about certain things. We weren't allowed to talk about English. English was a devil language. We couldn't talk about it. So when the U.S. military intervened and came to Afghanistan to topple the brutal regime of the Taliban and dismantle Al-Qaeda and other terrorists uh, who carried out the, the, the horrific attack 9-11 and killed thousands of innocent people, uh, I was still a little kid. I was still a young kid. I was going to school. And then uh, watching American soldiers come into school with supplies. Uh, as I mentioned before, you know, I went to school where we had nothing. We don't have a notebook. We don't have pen pencils. We don't have other school supplies. So watching American soldiers come into school and wanted to help us, wanted to support us. It was time that we weren't allowed to talk to them because they were 
tons of stuff going on. And uh, our teachers were telling us, some of the teachers were telling us we shouldn't be talking to Americans because they're not Muslims and, and, and all of that. But my parents, my father who went to school, who believed in education and he who knew what was going on. And uh, that's what everything started. So I was young and where, we, where I grew up, we started to find somebody, I couldn't speak English, but watching American soldiers come into our school, I really wanted to help or really wanted to talk to them, but we, I couldn't speak the language. And uh, all, I could, all, uh, all that I could was to use my battle language with them. And, uh, and that was scary too, because you know we're told don't talk to Americans because they're not Muslims and Americans would have come for an hour or two or three and they would have go back to their military base. But and then the whole area was turning into the bad guys. You know, it was the, the Taliban uh, region. It was the Taliban area after the Americans left at the end of the day. So we're, we were very scared. But somehow uh, we were able to find some somebody who was a farmer. He could speak a little bit English. And it was a long, you know, he wasn't agreed at the beginning. But Later on, he agreed that, you know, I could take some English classes with him. He was a farmer. We couldn't afford to pay our tuitions. I couldn't afford, my family couldn't afford, nobody could. So I was working with him at the end of the day at his farm, taking care of his goats and cows and like his cow animals. And then, you know, helping with his farms because his kids were too young. And he would have taught me like one or two words or three or four words. We like, it was an official class. Like you go to school here, unlike here or unlike taking other uh, schools. And I took some classes with them for a little while. And then after about six months, things weren't getting better. One of the families, one of my classmates and his whole entire family uh, was brought on the murder by the Taliban. Everybody, my classmate, the entire family was gone. And that's when we decided to move to another city, uh, Jalalabad. That was another journey for us because we're not we're familiar to, 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 to life in the city. We never lived in the city. We never visited a big city. So it was another journey for us. We struggled, we started struggling with everything again, and even worse because living back in the country, there was a lot of things that were free, for instance, firewood or other stuff. But living in a big city, you know, you had to pay uh, a lot of bills. You had to pay a lot of, you know, had to take care of a lot of stuff. And that was something we couldn't do it. So and then I started taking some English classes, uh, working with my brother. I talk about it uh, in details in my first book, Get the Turf Up Here. Uh, and then at the end of 2008, uh, I started working for the American soldiers as an interpreter. Introducing the new Fireteam Whiskey Fitness and Nutrition app. Everything you need to get fit and lose weight right at your fingertips. Choose from hundreds of fitness videos and fitness plans. Search for workouts by fitness level, equipment available, or body part focus. Choose from several nutrition plans and customize your macros. Your entire fitness, nutrition, and wellness plan all scheduled on your calendar. Text a trainer anytime for tips, tricks, and motivation. Achieve your fitness and health goals with the Fireteam Whiskey app. Go to www.fireteamwhiskey.com to get two weeks of results for free. What a journey. <laughs> so um, obviously you knew the risks that, you know, you had been basically told your entire life to not talk to the Americans, you know, they're non-Muslims and what would happen to you if you did. And you chose 
to start working for the US American forces as an interpreter. So even knowing the risks, why did, why did you decide to, you know, not do the safe thing and, and not do something like that and, and take, take a huge risk and, and start working for, for the US? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um, so when I started working for the American soldiers, I was very young. I was uh, only 15. Uh, but the mission that American soldiers brought with them, the message of peace and prosperity and reconstructions of our country, uh, which had been in war for 40 plus years, and it was completely demolished. It was a lot needed to be done. So American soldiers came to Afghanistan with a clear message to reconstruct, to help us rebuild our country. And that was the clear message that was uh, endorsed by so many, including my family. Uh, but when I started working for the American soldiers, uh, my parents, uh, they never opposed me to work for the Americans. They supported me, but I was too young. And they wanted me to become either a medical doctor because my mom and my dad both were sick for a while and they have been sick uh, or either an engineer. So that was like my dream and that's what I wanted to chase. Uh, but somehow at the, end of, at the end of 2008, when I became an interpreter for the American soldiers, uh, I didn't tell my parents that I was going to work for the American soldiers. I left the house uh, for school. That's what my parents thought. They said, oh, I'm going to school. I'll be back home in the afternoon. But didn't know that I was going to work for the American soldiers. And But my two siblings, my older siblings, one of them already working for the American soldiers as a truck driver, supplying American troops in a very... Um, uh, risky and dangerous places in Eastern Afghanistan. So I started working for the American soldiers uh, and I wanted to support them uh, now because they were in our country to support us. And that was the least thing that I could do to support them back. Uh, you know, watching American soldiers uh, come into our school, you know, that was always with me with school supplies. Uh, they shouldn't have done that, but they came to help us and they were in our country helping us and rebuilding our country. and. Uh, the same school where I was going to school back in, in the back in the 90s under the Taliban regime, which was completely demolished, that was reconstructed and rebelled by American soldiers, a team called uh, Provincial Reconstruction Team, American soldiers. So why not? That was the least I could do. And I was so happy. I was proud of it to support my brothers and sisters in arms because they were there to help us. And interpretation was the, was, was the least thing, was the little thing that I could do in return to help them. Yeah, great. So unfortunately, I mean, the, the sad part of the story is that you did suffer and your family did suffer consequences because of you and, and your, your brother's choices of, of, you know, helping the Americans. So can you briefly just touch upon, you know, what, what consequences you suffered? Uh, yes, uh, it was pretty risky, to be honest. I was young. I didn't think at the beginning, you know, what was the risk. I never thought about it. I never expected. But uh, right after I started working, um, you know, I ended up going to Combat Outpost Monte. It was, uh, it was a small military base uh, in the Hindukash Mountains. And as the name says, you know, it was a combat outpost. It was, uh, it was a battle zone. It was a war zone. So we're dealing with daily firefighting and ambushes and provides explosive devices, you name it, uh, on a daily basis. Every morning we're waking up to rocket attack, mortar attacks from the enemies. That was our daily routine. So when I ended up working there um, at the end of 2009, I was uh, struck by uh, a shrapnel uh, by enemy rocket propelled grenade. Uh, 
sadly I lost one of my brothers in arms and uh, I, sur I survived. Uh, I was gone for a three days mission, which turned into a whole month mission and I had no contact, I had no communication, I had no phone conversation with my family. Uh, so they thought that I was dead. Like everybody thought that I was dead. My, my you know, my the, 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 the funeral ceremony and everything was held without my presence because they thought we're, I was gone. And uh, I was, you know, I was, uh, I was shot. That was just the beginning. And uh, in 2011, one of my oldest brothers, uh, one of my brothers, my oldest brother uh, was hit by uh, the Taliban and provides explosive devices. Uh, and uh, he uh, still lives with more than 20 shrapnels in his body, uh, suffer from bad PTSD. Uh, uh, you know, he still suffer from the trauma. And just after a little while, uh, I lost other family members who were brutally killed. I lost my brother-in-law and his son who was only seven. They were brutally murdered by the Taliban and uh, I was still working. Uh, but it didn't stop right there. And in 2016, uh, that was when I got my visa approved, my paperwork approved and I was about to leave the country. One of my sisters uh, got shot multiple times and uh, we thought she was gone. We thought she's dead. She wouldn't make it. She was in coma for a while at the hospital. Uh, so we suffered a lot. You know, uh, it was it was it was full of risk. It was uh, full of danger. Uh, but you know, I proud every moment and every second of my job working with my brothers and sisters and supporting them uh, during the war against terror. Yeah. And, and it's so wonderful that, you know, you, you were rewarded, you know, for your service. I don't know how, I mean, I don't think one equals the other by any means. It's not exactly payment for what you've, you know, the, what you did, which was, you know, priceless basically, but, you know, you were able to, you know, come to the, the U.S. Um, are you officially a citizen yet or? Yes, uh, I became a U.S. citizen uh, back in May. Uh, oh, wonderful. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I got my passport. I got my. Oh card. yes, I saw your your. I think you put it on social media. You I were did, so happy. Yeah. I was so excited. So I am officially a U.S. citizen. And, That's uh, so exciting! Congratulations. So, yeah, so happy to be. And it was just a dream. Like it started and it's still going. It's it's a dream. I can't believe it. Like <laughs> people, like you know, I've been thinking about this nonstop. Like, is this really who I am? Like where I started and where I am right now. But none of those things, you know, were possible or have been possible without the, the support, the, the gener generosity of my fellow Americans. Uh, I'm so happy to be part of this great nation. Wonderful. And so what inspired you to write a book about, about your experiences? Uh, well, well, that is, a, that's, you know, that's a wonderful question. A lot of people ask me when they think about my, my background and when I talk about my English. Uh, you know, taking English classes with somebody who was a former, had no formal education. And then like, how did you learn English? You know, you, you talk about it a little bit now, like I don't call myself an author, but you know, I'm still learning. I'm a lifelong learner. So how, you know, what motivated me was that I always like, I believed, you know, I believed in, I could do it and I believed I could write, but my English still like at the beginning, my English wasn't strong enough to write. I could have talked, you know, I could have speak, you know, much better English because, you know, I, basically grew up with American soldiers. Mm -hmm. I was very started working with them. So, uh, but writing was, you know, it was, it was a different uh, portion of uh, the language, an important portion. 
and it was good, but it wasn't strong enough to write a book. So I started, you know, ended up talking to my, you know, to friends, uh, military families that I had the highest honor of working with and supporting their brother and sisters. And they were all, they were all always asking me about stories and said, like, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you did in Afghanistan. And one day, you know, so like my, my, my friends, like, you should write a book. You should write a book. I said, I can't do it. It's a lot of work. It's just a lot of work. I can't believe mm -hmm. it. Like, you know, I, my English is not strong enough. I do have a lot of stories to tell. There's like, you know, in my memory, but I can't put it down. It's just a lot of work in my English. So somehow I ended up, I reached out to one of my uh, friends, Banguist, uh, a great guy. He's a, a former secretary of the uh, uh, Assistant Secretary of Defense uh, and he's a New York Times bestselling author, Penguist. Uh, I helped him a little bit back in 2009. He was visiting our unit uh, when Dakota Meyer, the Medal of Honor, was there too. So I helped him a little bit and then I got his contact information when I made it to the set. So I reached out to him and I said, like, sir, I wanted to write a book. He said, like, I believe in you, but it's a lot of work. And, but, you know, if you wanted to, it's your dream and you can make it happen and I'm always here to help you. So I finished my first story, sent it to him, and he looked at it and said, like, yes, you can do it. And then said, like, I'm going to recommend you some books. You got to read it. I started reading some books and then, you know, just back and forth conversation with him. But uh, none of those things I'm telling you, like my first editors, my first proofreaders were the my brothers and sisters in, the, in arms. Like those were the first people that I sent my stories to. They would look at it and say, like, yes. And that's how, you know, one story turned into two and three and four and it turned into a book and now it's the second and there's the third one that I'm working on. So. Are you fire team ready? Try the fire team whiskey Spec Ops Keto Joe Shake. The Keto Joe Shake is a medium chain triglyceride MCT shake derived from non-GMO coconut oil. It contains 17 grams of MCT, 10 grams of high quality whey protein and no sugar. It's sweetened with stevia leaf so you can keep those carbs low and shred that body fat. 25 milligrams of caffeine to give you extra energy for the gym or your busy day. Fireteam Whiskey has been supplying military members deployed all over the world with Spec Ops shakes for over three years. Fireteam Whiskey Spec Ops shakes are fueling the fight. Whether you are just trying to lose a few pounds or trying to get that extra edge in the gym, the Fireteam Whiskey Spec Ops shakes are for you. Make sure to stock up now and support our efforts to raise funds for Team RWB, our nonprofit partner that provides social support and fitness events for our nation's heroes. Yeah, that's so exciting. So congratulations. I mean, that that is a very hard thing to write a book. <laughs> so much, and yes, you're doing another one. So I can't wait yeah, to like hear about that. Thank you. Do you have a title yet for your second book? Yes, uh, it is. Uh, it's called Indispensable. Uh, it is done. It's ready. I can get it out tomorrow or the next day. We're oh, okay. One, but I'm gonna wait for August 15 because it's gonna be the first anniversary of the uh, U.S. troops uh, at the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and I'm thinking yes. about to get it out on the same day because there are, there's a lot of things that I talk about it uh, that's not uh, discussed in my first book. So there's you know a lot of things that you know that lead to what happened back in. Mm -hmm. August 2021 uh, yeah. that I talked about it in my second book. Okay. Yeah. Great. Interesting. So you are also um, involved in an organization called A Voice for Two Nations. Can you tell us about that? 
Yes, so Advice for Tour Nation is, is, is a platform for stories, uh, stories that shares a common soul uh, in the fringes of combat and devastation of war. So it's a website where we share stories uh, of brotherhood between two nations, the United States and Afghanistan. So this is basically a, a run and created by veterans to serve for these great nations for many years. Uh, uh, so we trying to put uh, stories of veterans uh, who served in Afghanistan. Uh, we're trying to get their stories out and, uh, and stories from Afghanistan. So nowadays it's the Taliban country. So we're still reaching out to people back home and ask for their stories. And because uh, it's a place where the media is sort of fading away and there's some restrict rules and and and, and, and uh, draconian approach from the Taliban. So we try not to talk to people and get their voice heard uh, uh, in, in, in Western world. And so it is, this is a platform for stories and we're trying to help our combat, you know, our brothers and sisters to get their words and their voice heard. Yeah. And I definitely encourage the, the listeners to go check out um, that website. I'll, I'll put it in the notes to this uh, podcast. It's, it's really touching. There's some very touching stories on there. Just, you just always forget about, you know, all the lives that have been touched by this, you know, two decades old war. And it's not just Americans, you know, it's, it's all sorts of uh, people from all sorts of nations, but especially the Afghanis and, you know, the, your country has been war torn for, decades and decades and decades um and not sure if that's going to end anytime soon but um so i i'm sure that you know you have your opinions about the withdrawal and um the end of you know at least uh, american efforts there but um you know what what are some just kind of lessons learned that you think that should keep front in mind because now you know now that you know quote unquote the war is over even though it's really not um, you know, what, what do we need to keep in mind? Because, you know, time is passing and, and it's not in the headlines anymore on, on TV. So, you know, what do we, what are some lessons learned that you think, you know, everyone should just kind of keep front and center and keep thinking about, keep re rethinking about as we go along, you know, and, and the war on terror continues. Uh, so the, the greatest lesson that we learned from, uh... Uh, August 2021, I was uh, talking to Duke University and share my thoughts with them, with some students who are uh, uh, future policymakers. Uh, uh, quite frankly, you know, I work with uh, everybody. I work with the military, you know, I mean, I work with the Medal of Honor, the Kutomar, I work with uh, other military personnel, civilians, I work with special forces, and I was part of every single uh, combat operations. And in some of those missions were uh, depicted in the movies, uh, for instance, the outpost was the battle that I was part of it and I was there when everything happened. So the greatest lesson that uh, could be learned from, you know, first of all, like this could have been done much differently, to be honest, like this whole mm -hmm. process withdrawal. And the, the greatest lesson that we could learn from this, uh, from the Afghan war and the way it handled uh, the very last minute that the policymakers, the people who are making policies, uh, needs and must work with military, uh, mm -hmm. the chain of commands, military personnel, veterans who had tons of experiences in the in the combat, who had tons of experiences in war, 
and there could be the one who can make policies, not the one who can, I mean, I do respect them, mm-hmm. uh, but not the one you just go to school and then you're making policies for people where you have no clue what is really happening uh, on the ground. So, you know, the greatest lesson that could be learned that uh, everything needs to be worked out with military, people who are on the ground, that they can tell and give them the clear message, the clear picture of what is really happening. So, and I believe if it was, you know, if people were listening to the military generals who were involved in this war, this could have been handled differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you know, we're watching what's happening right now. This country turning to, turning to uh, safe haven for Al-Qaeda, for you know, I mean, all terrorists, they're going back. And, mm-hmm. and this is exactly what happened because people were talking to the Taliban a couple of years ago who had been negotiating with them, thought that the Taliban had been changed, but the, the you know, they had never been changed. They're the same people. Uh, they kind of manipulate and brainwash people who are part of this whole negotiation. Mm-hmm. And they manipulate them badly uh, because, you know, it is the same thing right now because the old tourists are going back to Afghanistan and it's going to be a safe haven for all of them because the reason I'm saying is this is that they have the same mindset, they have, they have the same ideology, and this cannot right. be changed. So right. the greatest lesson you know we can learn from this is that things can be worked out with people who really knows what is happening and what was going on, uh, not just one person or two or three persons sitting in the office uh, behind a fancy desk with coffee and cup mm-hmm. of tea, yeah. uh, making policies and talking to people. So that's what I think. And that's what I believe. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. There's so many, like just you, I mean, the wealth of knowledge you have with your experience and what you observed and what you grew up with and, you know, just giving a voice to those people who had feet on the ground and experienced it. Um, I, it's so much more valuable than just, you know, these policymakers who've never even been to Afghanistan and they've never served in a war and, you know, and, know nothing about it and they're making these you know decisions up there and it's it's so separated and yeah and it just the voice the voices many many voices need to be heard so and especially you know those who are still there um you know who who helped you know support the war on terror and who have been left behind and yeah that's that's definitely important to keep in mind yeah, I mean, like right now, yeah, I work with the U.S. military for many years, for over seven years. And I can tell, I basically grew up with them. I can tell how strong it is. I mean, a lot of people don't understand, but, you know, they have to understand that U.S. military is one of the best military in the world. Uh, whether you talk about their weaponry, whether you talk about the technology that they have in everything. But now a small a tiny terrorist group saying that they defeated the American soldiers. It's just mm-hmm. impossible. I can't even think about that. And it's, it's hurting. I mean, it hurts so many veterans. And I heard it was yeah. like 700,000 something veterans who served in Afghanistan. And it's not, you know, it's unbelievable because a tiny, you know, like a small, we'll say like a company of these soldiers could have, if they could have stayed in Afghanistan, I could tell like the Taliban would never ever come back to power. They would never, ever even dream of coming back to power. Right. right. Yeah. So the yeah. way they just, they just give them like, hey, you guys, so. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, John, thank you so much for being on the Warrior Wellness Podcast. I'm excited to finish your book and I encourage everybody listening to go um, get that off of Amazon. Um, it is called Get the Turf Up Here War as an Interpreter to the U.S. Forces in Afghanistan and look out for his new book. So that one is called Indispensable. Is that what you said? Indis Indispensable. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. So I can't wait to read that one. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me again. It's just uh, such an honor to be here with David, share a little bit of my story with your audience. And at the end, I just wanted to thank and appreciate everybody, my brother and sister who served in Afghanistan. I wanted to let them know that they made uh, tremendous changes in our lives and uh, they're, they're home, but the changes will be there. And those who are gone and they're never, they're not with us anymore, but they're they are with us in our heart and minds and they will never be forgotten. So thank you so much for your service and, uh, and everything you guys have done uh, for us and for our country that will be remembered for the rest of our lives. Thank, thank you, John. Hey guys, thanks so much again for joining us on another episode of the Warrior Wellness Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe, follow, like, all that good stuff on your favorite podcast platform or and on our YouTube channel. Go ahead and leave us a review while you're there. And if you screenshot your review, email it to info at fireteamwhiskey.com with your name and address. You'll be entered into our drawing for a prize for just leaving us a review. So let us know what we're doing great, what you'd like to hear more about. And please go ahead and just give us a follow and give us a honest review, especially on iTunes, because that helps us reach other military members, veterans, and first responders with this vitally important information about how to improve their health, fitness, and wellness. We will see you at the next episode of the Warrior Wellness Podcast. I am your podcast host, former Army Captain Stephanie Lincoln founder of Fire Team Whiskey. When you look good, you feel good. Guys, it's about time you threw away those stained t-shirts and those baggy, saggy shorts and upgrade your gym swagger. Zaya Active is the official workout wear of Fire Team Whiskey. Go to bit.ly forward slash Zaya FTW and check out all the styles for women, men, and kids.